Well, to start off with the question, how do we not buckle under the weight of those make or break moments of life? Those high pressure moments that might change the trajectory of your future, those high pressure moments where every word matters, those high pressure moments where you might be tempted to compromise your values or your character or even your calling in God. When you're standing in that moment, how do you withstand the pressure, the testing? How do you stand firm in the make or break moments of life? We're about to see that in the life of Joseph. And if you're just joining us, I want to bring you up to speed. Uh, We've been talking over the last month uh, about a man named Joseph from the Old Testament. And many of us, uh, many of you might be familiar with Joseph's story. Joseph was the favorite of 12 sons, and he received dreams from God that were snapshots of his future. He leveraged those dreams to exalt himself at the expense of his brothers. He used the good gift in a wrong way, and this created such an enormous rift in the family that his brothers eventually sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt, and then he was purchased by a man named Potiphar. He rose to prominence in Potiphar's house, and Mrs. Potiphar made sexual advances to Joseph many times. He resisted all of them. She falsely accuses him. He gets thrown in prison. He's in prison wrongfully for 11 to 13 years, and as he's in there, he meets some of the king's prisoners, the, the, the cupbearer and the baker, and they have dreams. He interprets their dreams. And then they leave. The cupbearer is restored to his position with Pharaoh. And before he goes, Joseph says, hey, when you get there, when you get in front of Pharaoh, make mention of me. Like, put in a good word for me because I'm here wrongfully. I don't deserve to be here. Put in a good word. The cupbearer leaves. He's restored to his position. And what does he do? He doesn't remember Joseph, but forgets him for another two years. And that is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 41. And it says this, after two whole years. Now, that's two more years in a dungeon. That's two more years alone with your, your thoughts and your questions and your doubts and your wrestlings and your confusion, two more years of being placed on the sidelines, begging God for justice for him to come through. There's no resolution, but you're doing your best to remain faithful in little things. Two more years. So after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Oh, this story's about to get real good. Pharaoh dreams. And he dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And these fat cows, they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. So we have cannibalistic cows. And Pharaoh awoke, probably thinking, what in the world was that all about? He goes back to sleep. Verse 5, he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke 
and behold, it was a dream. Have you ever had uh, one of those dreams that you felt like was so real while you're dreaming it, and then you wake up and you go, oh, thank God, it was just a dream, right? This is the Bible's version of that, only it's not, oh, thank God, it was just a dream, it's behold, it was a dream, all right? And while there, there may have been some relief for Pharaoh when he wakes up, these dreams stuck with him. They, they haunted him a bit. In verse eight, it says, so in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So all of the advisors come to Pharaoh, he shares his dreams with them, and there's not, not one of them knows how to interpret these dreams, which if you're one of his advisors, that's not great for job security. And then the chief cupbearer, the one who forgot Joseph in prison for the last two years, all of a sudden it dawns on him and he realizes, oh my goodness, I've forgotten Joseph in prison for the last two years. I know somebody that can interpret dreams. And this is what he says. Verse nine, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. So he's, he's essentially going, Pharaoh, um, just you remember that one time a couple years back? You were real mad at me and you threw me in prison. Don't think too much about that. Anyway, and then he keeps going. We dreamed, me and the baker, we dreamed on the same night, he and I having a dream each with its own interpretation and a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. The dreams were fulfilled. The interpretation was fulfilled. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged, and then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Pharaoh's listening to this, he's going, what are you waiting for, go get this guy. Go get Joseph. And if you remember last week, if you were here last week, uh, we, we talked about being faithful in little things. And if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful with much. If, you, if you're faithful in little, you'll be trusted with much. And Joseph's diligence over the last 11 to 13 years as he's in prison, his faithfulness in the prison all these years his serving of the cupbearer and the baker by interpreting their dreams, all of his faithfulness and little things have paved the way for this moment that's about to happen. And what I wanna point out here is a lot of times we go through life and we think, oh, if, if I can make a connection with that person, then that person will help me to get there, they'll help me advance in life, they'll help me take the next step. And oftentimes, it's the people that we think are gonna make all the difference in our life that turn out to be dead ends, and it's the unexpected, the seemingly unimportant people that often lead us as catalysts into the biggest transitions in life. And see, what we never know, we never know who will prove to be significant in our lives. We never know. And, and here, here's the thing, if you really want to know someone's character, if you really wanna see the fruit of someone's character, here's what you look for. Pay attention to how they treat the people they perceive to be the little people. Pay attention, by little people I mean people that they perceive in the moment to have little to no value to add to their lives. How do they treat people that they view as seemingly unimportant or, in, or insignificant? And if you have a biblical worldview, 
You know that every single human being is created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. And so it doesn't matter the position, it doesn't matter the influence, it doesn't matter the power. How do we treat the people that we perceive to be people that can add little to no value to our lives? How do we treat people when they're not adding anything but maybe subtracting something? How do we treat people? Pay attention because it is one of the most revealing things about your character. And when you look at the person of Christ, he did not come to be served, he came to do what? To serve. How do we treat the people that we perceive to have uh, nothing of value to add to our lives? How do we treat those people? It's a revealing of character. Now Joseph, he's about to get out of prison, but he doesn't know it yet. He doesn't know this conversation that's happening with Pharaoh. He doesn't know. He's still in the dungeon. He's still doing the same menial tasks that he's been doing for years, right? Thousands of times over and over again. And all of a sudden, I, I just can imagine him in the dungeon and all of a sudden he hears this commotion and he hears the keys and all of a sudden the prison door opens and he sees the cupbearer. The cupbearer comes in and points at him and says, that's the guy. That's the one who interpreted our dreams. And then they take Joseph and they, they loose his chains. And for the first time in 13 years, Joseph is not in shackles. And they take him out of the prison and, and they get him all cleaned up. They, they give him a, a shave. They give him new clothes. And th this is signifying a change in direction for his life. And in just moments... He's getting the protocol on what to say, what not to say in front of Pharaoh. In just moments, he's going to be standing. He's gone from the prison to standing in front of the most powerful person in the world at the time. And he, here's the thing. Have you ever had one of those moments where every word you say matters? Every single word you say. Maybe it's a sales pitch or maybe it's a presentation or that audition that your future hangs on, and if you nail this, then you're gonna be set for the next 10 years, or it's that conversation that could make or break a relationship or a job opportunity. It's those life-altering moments, those make-or-break moments, and this is that moment for Joseph. Everything in his life, all the pain, all the betrayal, all the heartache is leading up to this one conversation with Pharaoh. Like all of the betrayal, all of the heartache, all of the pain, all the confusion, all the injustice, all of the hurt, all of it is leading to this one conversation with the most powerful person on earth at the time. Don't blow it, Joseph. All right, verse 15, and Pharaoh says to Joseph, so there he is, he's standing there. He says to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, one of the, you ever had one of those moments when you're standing in, in front of someone that's incredibly influential or somebody you've look, looked up to, someone you admire, maybe somebody you never thought you'd meet, and then you're finally in that moment and you're starstruck and all of a sudden you become hyper aware of yourself and you just become so self-conscious and, and all of a sudden you're tempted to say things in ways that you wouldn't normally say them, or like you're fumbling over your words trying to come up, like what do I need to say, how, how do I sound? And then you, you just, you become somebody that you're not because you're trying to impress this person, right? That there was a time in Joseph's life when he would have reached this moment and gone up to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, yeah, I've heard you can inter interpret dreams. And he would go, 
Dreams, you say. I happen to be an expert in dreams. I know all things about dreams. There is nobody on the planet who is better at dreams than I am. Ask anybody and they will tell you I am the absolute best at dreams. There was a time in Joseph's life when he would have presented him, himself that way. And maybe he was tempted to do that, we don't know. But here's what we do know. Joseph doesn't cave in the moment. He doesn't cave under pressure. He doesn't compromise even a little bit. Look at what he says. Joseph answered Pharaoh, verse 16, it is not in me. How uninspiring is that? Pharaoh goes, I've heard you can interpret dreams. Another translation says that Joseph said it this way, I can't do that. I can't do that for you. His first words to Pharaoh are, I can't do that. I mean, just come up with something, Joseph. I mean, just fake it until you make it. Say something. Just pretend. Like, this is your ticket out of prison. What are you doing? I know. Amen. <laughs> and Joseph answered Pharaoh, says, it is not in me. And then he leans a little bit further into it. He says, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is amazing. Joseph is talking to the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on earth, and Pharaoh believes that he is God. He believes he's God. And this measly little insignificant prisoner is brought up from the dungeon, placed before him, and the first thing he says is, yeah, I can't really help you out, but God, which is not you, by the way, he might help you out if he feels like it. That's your first words to Pharaoh. Can you imagine what Pharaoh's advisors were thinking? Can you imagine what the cupbearer was thinking? The cupbearer's gotta be going, we're all gonna die. <laughs> I, I, Joseph is gonna be killed. I'm gonna be killed for associating myself with Joseph. This is the end, right? And, and notice, Joseph, he's not arrogant, He's not cruel, but he's also not falsely humble either. He, he's, he's confident. He's honest. He doesn't compromise his values. He doesn't change his views in order to appease Pharaoh. Right? He, he, th this is what's so amazing. He is not changing who he is. He's not compromising his character, his calling, or his values for Pharaoh's sake. So here's the question. How do we not cave under the weight of the make or break moments of life? Here's the answer. You have to know that you know that you know that God is with you in the moment. You have to know that God is for you, that he's with you. And, and Joseph is showing up to this moment with his character so refined, so galvanized, so sharpened that he has a brand new boldness about him. And he's showing up to this moment in front of Pharaoh going, God was with me in the pit, he was with me in the prison, and he'll be with me in the palace. And I care far more about pleasing God than I care about pleasing you. You can do to me whatever you will. I'm not gonna sugarcoat. I'm not gonna tiptoe around it. Here's the deal. You are not God. God is God. And if he feels like it, he'll interpret your dream. Let the chips fall where they may. See, I, what I love about Joseph's story is you see he is a radically different person in this moment than he was at the beginning of the story. You see the character transformation that's happening. 
Proverbs 29 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. See, we, we, we live in a world where we're so tempted to become people pleasers at moments. I'll just say whatever I have to say in order to get in with that person or in order to receive the affirmation of that person. And the way the fear of man plays itself out in our lives is it fills us with this constant anxiety, this need for, for that group of people or for someone specific to affirm us or approve of us. And here's what it does. It drives us to be controlled by other people's opinions of us and they have no idea about it. It, it drives us to orchestrate our lives around other people's expectations and opinions and we end up, if we're not careful, we end up compromising our own values in order to please other people. We end up compromising our, our calling, our decision making. It cripples our ability to be courageous, to say the hard things because we don't want to ruffle feathers. And rather than obeying God or following through on what God has put in us to do, we buckle under the weight of other people's expectations and opinions of us. I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter one. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, we can't live under the fear of man and serve God at the same time. You, you, you can't remain a people pleaser and serve God faithfully at the same time. And what we see in Joseph's moment of truth is he does not compromise even a little bit. He doesn't waver. He doesn't fumble over his words. He's not even a little bit concerned about what Pharaoh might do to him. He just simply says what's true and lets the chips fall where they may. And what we see in this moment in Joseph is beautiful. We see the combination of characteristics that you would rarely ever combine in a single individual. He's humble and yet he's bold. He's confident but he's not arrogant. He's courageous but he's not cruel. There's no pretense or bluster about him. He just is who he is. And in this moment, what we see so clearly is Joseph is a picture of Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, you have characteristics that are combined beautifully that you would never combine in a single individual. That Jesus is both the lion and he's the lamb. He's bold and courageous and yet he's meek and humble. Right? And, and what we see in Joseph's story is he is a picture of Christ. And I love that Joseph just says it like it is. It's not politically correct. It, it's not socially acceptable. Like if social media were around at the time, he would have been canceled for sure. It's not culturally palatable, but Joseph just speaks the name of God to a man who thinks he is God. And he lays it all on the line. And after all he's been through, he is absolutely confident that God is with him. He's absolutely confident. He knows that God is with him. And when we go through life, when you and I go through life knowing that God is with us, and I mean absolutely confident 
that God is with us and for us, that he is the one. He alone has the final say over the direction and outcomes and the details of our lives. It changes us. It changes our perspective on our circumstances. It changes our view of ourselves. And it gives us a boldness and a humble confidence that we can't have otherwise. And when that happens, when we know that God is with us, it changes us and other people take notice and Pharaoh takes notice here. And as a result, he shares his dreams with Joseph. And so he looks at him and goes, okay, that's different. Nobody's ever talked to me like that before. But anyway, here's these dreams. So listen, there were these cannibalistic cows and this nasty weed and here's the result and then I woke up. What do I do with this? How do I interpret these dreams? What does it all mean? And if you skip down to verse 28, Joseph gives some details about uh, about the, the dreams as it's unfolding and then he says this in verse 28. He said, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt But after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. So God gives Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph gives God all of the credit. But what's amazing is Joseph doesn't just stop with the interpretation of the dream. That's all Pharaoh is asking for. He just says, give me the interpretation. But Joseph doesn't go, okay, well, there's gonna be seven years of plenty, then there's gonna be seven years of famine, and I don't know what you're gonna do with it. Figure it out, good luck. He doesn't just end there. He keeps going. He says, verse 33, now, Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man like he's giving Pharaoh permission. This is a new boldness. Therefore, let Pharaoh select a, a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Joseph not only interprets Pharaoh's dreams, but he offers an entire economic strategy and agricultural policy with suggestions for advisors and overseers that would lead to Egypt remaining prosperous during a seven-year famine that would have otherwise completely crippled the nation. Not bad for an insignificant prisoner from the dungeon. Verse 37 This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. They're all impressed. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh sees that there is something different about this guy. There's something on this man. And Pharaoh, who just moments ago believed that he is God, says, no, no, no. (laughs) The Spirit of God is in this man. 
A, a man who moments ago believed he's God is acknowledging, no, 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 God is on this man's life. Now, this, fascinating, that phrase, the spirit of God, this is the first time that that phrase shows up from, uh, since the early chapters of Genesis. And in the early chapters of Genesis, and the difference here is now, the, the reference of the spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, it is not residing or hovering over the waters, it is in a person. It is residing within Joseph. Joseph is carrying the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of God upon him, and Pharaoh is astonished. And here's what's true for us. When you are walking in accordance with the spirit of God, if you are walking in step with the Spirit, if you are displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your life, other people will take notice. They will see something different about you that is attractive, and they will be astonished by what's happening in you and through you, and they will want some of what God is doing in you. It says, verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and as wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. In moments, God took Joseph from the pit to the palace, from the prison to becoming the prime minister of Egypt, the prince of Egypt. Joseph, by all accounts, is out of the valley. And, and here's a warning for us. It's easy to remain dependent on God when we're in the valley. When we are in need. When we're pleading with God for help, for the next breath, to help us take the next step, to not throw in the towel. But how many of us, the moment we step out of the valley, when we're no longer in need, we turn to God and we say, God, thanks for seeing me through that. I've got it from here. I appreciate all your help in the valley, but now that I'm out and I'm living in abundance and I've got everything that I need, I, I, I've, I've got it from here. I'll let you know if I need anything. And we leave the God who saw us through the valley behind. The God who is faithful to us in our most difficult, hardest, heartbreaking moments, we leave him behind when things are good. Because we're deceived into thinking that we no longer need him. See, many of us, we have no problem trusting God when life is hard. But what about when life is good? When we're living in abundance and not scarcity? When we've gone from the valley to the summit or from the prison to the palace, do we assume, and this is a dangerous assumption, do we assume that the abundance that God has provided for us is solely for our benefit? Do we assume that life in the palace is for us and that God has placed us there for our benefit? Because after all, we're the ones who paid the price. We're the ones who put in the time and the effort and the work and the blood, sweat, and tears. We're the ones that had to endure, right? And so now that we're in abundance, why wouldn't it be for me, right? We were thrown into the pit. We, we had to endure all of that, and therefore, because of all of that, we 
deserve, we're entitled to fill in the blank, whatever you think that is. See, in scarcity, it's easy to go, God, I surrender all. <laughs> when all I have is a broken down Oldsmobile and a coffee mug collection, it's easy to go, God, I surrender all. But what about when you're living in abundance, when you have everything you need, and then some, to go, God, even still. Yeah, I put in the, I put in the work. I put in the effort. Yes, I may have suffered. Y yes, I had to endure. I had to persevere. But at the end of the day, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. It all belongs to you. See, when, when you are faithful to God in little things, all of a sudden when the big things come, it's much easier to go, God, it's all yours. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my satisfaction. It's not about my pleasure. It's about what you want to do with what you've entrusted to me because it's not about me. Life and significance is not found in the possessions. It's not found in the consistence of things. It's found in you. It's found in living in accordance with you in your ways and pleasing you before pleasing people or even pleasing myself. That's what Joseph is doing. He's going every season since the pit. He's going, none of this is mine. I was a fool for thinking it was about me. The gift was not about me. And I was a fool for using it to elevate myself at the expense of my family, of using God's gift for my own benefit. Any blessing from here on out, any opportunity, any provision, any position, any prosperity or power that comes my way, any fulfillment of the promise of God over my life, Joseph is going, it's not about me. It's not about me. Luke 12 says this, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. What have we been given? What has been entrusted to us? And if much has been given, much is required. And all of the character formation that Joseph had to endure, it made perfect sense in this moment before Pharaoh. All of the heartache, all of the work, all of the pain, all of the diligence, all of the faithfulness, all of those moments and those series of events, all orchestrated by God, leading to this one conversation with Pharaoh, where God would set Joseph up to make a It's not about Joseph. It's about God's purposes in and through Joseph for the sake of the people around him. Joseph is going, it's not about me. And it says this in verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, the symbol of his authority, from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He dressed him up like Pharaoh. He, Joseph is in the image of Pharaoh at this point. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they, the crowds, called out before him, bow the knee. And thus, Pharaoh set him over all the land of Egypt. This is a partial fulfillment of Joseph's dreams that he received in Genesis 37. Early on, Joseph was proud and God humbled him. Joseph became humble and God now has exalted him. See, we're told in the New Testament that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble. Joseph was faithful and little, and now he's been trusted with much. And I wanna invite you, look back at your journey. Think back on your life. 
the journey you've been on. Think about what you've been through. Those moments where you're this close to throwing in the towel, to walking away or giving up on God or what he's called you to, but you're still here. You're still hanging in. And if you go, Rob, just barely. I'm just barely hanging in. Maybe so, but you're hanging in. And if you're there, what that means is that the devil hasn't won. And if the devil can't take it from you, what he'll try to do is convince you to give it up freely. Your calling, your character, your values. He will try to convince you just to release it and give it up if he can't take it from you. See, when you look back on your journey, I don't know what your journey has been. I don't know how hard it's been. I don't know what you've had to endure. I don't know the pain or the heartache or the difficulties or the questions. I don't know, but you know and God knows. And you're still alive. You've taken the hits. Life has pummeled you at moments. And yet you are still breathing. You're still here. Look back on your journey. It's no coincidence that you're still fighting the good fight. It's no coincidence that you're still breathing, that your heart is still beating. It's no coincidence that blood is still pumping through your veins. And when you look back at your life at the hardest seasons, where do you see God growing you and forming you and changing you and producing his character in you? So now, looking back, you recognize God's hand in all the painful moments have brought you more and more into the image of Christ where you look like him and you're able to make an impact for his glory. See, when you look back at your journey, you can see God's faithfulness. And now that you are where you are, God has placed you in a position, not for your own benefit, but so that you can provide hope and healing and life and encouragement to those around you so that you can be a blessing to those around you because it's not about us. It's about what God wants to do through us. Joseph's story began with dreams of being exalted above his family, above the moon and the stars and the sun, and then he was thrown into a pit and left for dead. He descended down into the pit. He was betrayed. He was put in shackles. He was sold for silver. Joseph was falsely accused. He was slandered. He was, he was lied about, and he was taken deeper into the dungeon, left there for 13 years, forsaken and forgotten, only to eventually rise to prominence and power out of the pit. He's exalted over all of the land of Egypt as the prince of Egypt, the prime minister of Egypt, where God is about to use him to change not only a family, but to change the direction of an entire nation. 2,000 years after Joseph, another one descended from above the heavens, was betrayed and sold for silver. He was falsely accused, slandered, condemned, and forsaken on a wooden cross and then buried in a pit, only to ascend three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave to be exalted at the right hand of the Father in victory and authority and power and honor and glory. And one day, every knee, not just in Egypt, but every knee on earth will bow before Jesus, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord over all. See, what, what Jesus did, he brought about a salvation. He brought about freedom, not just for one family or one nation, but for the entire human race. 
so that anyone that would believe on the name of Jesus, that he would be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's a promise. I wanna invite our elders and their wives and those serving communion to come forward and prepare the elements. And we're gonna remember the salvation that Jesus offered through the sacrament of communion today. And for those of you that are new to church or aren't familiar with communion, the bread, it represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the cup, it symbolizes the blood of the new covenant, the blood of Christ that was poured out for us as Jesus was crucified on the cross. And what we see in this Joseph, in this story, is a picture of Jesus, and what we see in Jesus is he offered himself up completely. He descended into the valley of death so that you and I could receive everlasting life. And today, if, if you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus, and you're ready to make that decision, please let someone know. If you came with somebody, let them know. Or you can let me know, or any of our elders, let them know that you're ready to make that decision today, and we would love to help you get started in your faith. Whether you're coming to him for the first time or coming back to him after wandering away. And as the ushers dismiss you row by row, uh, as you take the elements, you can go ahead and partake whenever you feel led, whenever you're ready. I'll come back up and close us in a few minutes. But church, would you stand with me as I read 1 Corinthians 11? It says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let me pray for us, and the ushers will dismiss you. Father, thank you for the beautiful picture that you've given us in the life of Joseph and the beautiful picture that you give us in the life of Jesus. God, that he descended from the heavens, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sinner's death in our place, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave so that he could stand to offer new life salvation, redemption, freedom to anyone that would believe on his name. God, thank you for the ascension of Jesus where he is now at the right hand of the Father. God, we thank you for the body, for the blood. God, we thank you for your love over us. And God, as we take the bread and the cup today, would you let it serve as a reminder that you are with us you're for us and not against us, that there isn't anything that can separate us from the love of Christ. God, we're grateful, and today we respond in worship, in adoration, with gratitude and cheerful hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. The ushers will dismiss you row by row. Partake of the bread and the cup whenever you feel ready.